you don't already know me, my name is Steve and I'm the senior pastor. And that's why we're talking about the art of neighboring because we want to see this kind of a story multiplied over Davis and Dixon and Woodland and Winters and West Sack all around us. And so for this week, if you've grabbed one of those books, or you can grab a book out of the Connect table uh, called The Art of Neighboring. Read chapters five and six this coming week. Um, it will supplement what we're going to talk about this morning, and it will help you to process with a small group of next steps you can take with your neighbors. But in all honesty, um, I've needed this season of our church as much as any of us have, um, because I've been struggling with one particular house in my neighborhood um, whose occupants I've just kept a comfortable distance with. Um, it's not that there's antagonism or acrimony, mind you. There's just a distance that I've maintained with them. It's a house with college students. So I'm actually a bit surprised because I love college students. You know, my own sons are college students. You know, we're kind of paying in to this whole idea of college. Um, and so you'd think my heart would skip a beat and jump at a chance to connect with them and help them out. But alas, it has not. Um, they mostly keep to themselves. They only venture out to jump in the car and go, to, go out to wherever they're going. And that's not unusual, right? I mean, lots of people do that in their neighborhoods. Um, but there's other challenges that they seem to have presented about a relationship with them. Uh, the grass in their front yard is out of control, or should I say the weeds in their front yard. And it has many of the other neighbors kind of chirping at me about what's going on with this house and what they're doing. Um, their backyard is not much better either. The grass is so high that there are rats that live and nest there. And I know because my dog caught a rat after it was scurrying underneath the fence to come and eat my mandarin oranges, right? Um, and it caught it, brought it inside, dropped it in like a prize. And then usually, on Friday and Saturday nights, there is the very distinctive smell of pot. Uh, even last night, wafting over the fence on their, from their patio near our fence line, and I just hate that smell. Can I admit? I just don't like it, especially when my windows are open and it invites itself in and takes a seat right next to me on my sofa, right? And I know, I, I, I'm very aware that I, they have legitimate complaints against me with my dogs that bark incessantly whenever they approach the fence line. I know that. And I'm sure they have legitimate concerns with all the other neighbors as well and are any consequences. And all of that is why I've just kind of kept my distance. Do you have any neighbors like that? Whom you just kind of keep at arm's length? Or do you have any neighbors that you've reached kind of a certain level with, but you've stopped there for whatever reason you have? That tendency of ours short circuits our ability to be a good neighbor on the street, in the dorms, in the apartments that we might live. If anything, you and I are to move toward the, our neighbors, not keeping a distance, not, not stopping short in relationship. That's how we actually seek the good of our city, to love our literal neighbors, as Neil unpacked a couple of weeks ago, and the resources that we have in Jesus. And even to overcome those barriers of, of fear and busyness that Bronwyn pointed out last week. And that's why when you, we, when you read The Art of Neighboring this week, you'll notice that they urge us to move from stranger to acquaintance to relationship. 
They want us to move down the line with our neighbors like this. Because it's the only way to get close enough to make a difference. It's the only way to be in close enough proximity to bring the good we distinctively bring as followers of Jesus. And so we must be the sort of people who move toward people, not settle for keeping a distance or stopping short. And that means we must look at Jesus again and even learn more carefully from him because Jesus stands in stark contrast to us in this department. He never keeps his distance. He never stops short with people. On the contrary, remarkably and always, he moves toward people. To more fully grasp this, we actually need to see Jesus in action at a very particular party he's at. And when you read The Art of Neighboring this week, they believe that this is a model for us to cultivate relationships and the power of a party to connect with people. But I would tell you there is actually so much more that's going on than just that. There is a beauty in Jesus and how differently he operates with people. And so this story has the potential to reshape how we neighbor and even how we relate to people more broadly that we run and where we play and work as well. If we'll see three things. We need to see the extent that Jesus moves towards people, the reason he does it and many don't, and then how we can take next steps towards moving towards our neighbor. So what I want you to do is I want you to grab your Bible or get your Bible app open on your phone. Um, Find your way to Luke chapter 5, verses 27 to 32. If you grab one of those blue Bibles, maybe on the chair in front of you or on the tables around you, it's on page 861. And once you're there, uh, you can follow along in the story of Jesus as Constant Hirschberger reads it for us. But what Jesus models here... And his reasons for doing it are actually deeply challenging on a number of levels. So much so, we need to pause and we need to ask God to help us to hear this, appreciate it, and hearts to receive it as we should. Because this is radical stuff from Jesus. Let's pray. God, this morning we ask you would give us ears to hear. You'd give us hearts to receive. That we might understand you, Jesus, and that we might know what you have done for us and that you might move us out in new ways this morning. And we'll thank you for the result because it has come by your grace to open our ears and open our hearts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Luke 5, 27 to 32. After this... Jesus went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is the word of the Lord.
Jesus always moves toward people. All kinds of people, in fact, that we usually avoid. And that something is put on full display in that story we just heard. Levi was a tax collector collecting a customs tax on the goods that were coming in that part of the country of Israel. Most of us would avoid an IRS agent in our neighborhoods and around town because who wants to get involved with an IRS agent, right? But Levi was even more objectionable than an IRS agent. Um, he was a Jewish man who collected taxes from Rome, which meant essentially that he had sold out his fellow countrymen to make a profit off of them. Picture a Jewish man working for Nazis and getting a cut from them looting the Jews, and you have a sense of who Levi is here. So let's not have any romantic ideals that Levi is just misunderstood here. Right? He chose money over his country, over his friends and neighbors, even over his family. He broke his parents' heart with how far he fled from God and even from a sense of common decency in the day. And so everyone, everyone kept their distance from Levi and avoided him like the plague, with the lone unwanted exception being the times that they had to pay their taxes to Rome. And they kept their distance with the same decorum, with the same enthusiasm that Democrats and Republicans do with each other today. Right? But not Jesus. In the mad rush away from Levi, Jesus swims upstream, so to speak, and he moves toward Levi. So much so that Jesus is not just content to connect with him, but he invites Levi to spend the rest of his days, the rest of his nights with him as his disciple. That's just what Jesus does. He moves toward people. And then what could be better than moving toward one tax clutter, than a whole party of them, right? Levi throws a party to celebrate his newfound relationship with Jesus. And he invites the only ones who would come in and hang out with Levi. The other kind of like tax collectors and disreputable people. And, Jesus invi and he invites Jesus to come and feast with them. Most people not only would avoid this like the plague, I mean, they're profiteering traitors. And they'd certainly not feast with them, absolutely not, out of a concern of kind of acceptance that it, it would have communicated to other people. The approval of how they got their money, because that's the food they were eating. You know, the endorsement of the spiritual points made in that meal and practiced at a feast. Jesus just didn't share those kinds of scruples. Jesus moves towards even a raucous party of profiteering traitors without wringing his hands about it. He ate. He drank. He talked and laughed long into the night with them. That's how persistent Jesus is in moving toward people. Flaws that they have. Sin that they have in their heart and in their life. Tangles simply did not deter Jesus from moving toward people. How stunning is that? How beautiful is it to see in Jesus in action? 
Jesus moves toward most people that you and I would avoid. And he would move toward the person that is maybe coming to your mind right now whom you and I are avoiding. Now, there are certain people who are just, you know, a people person, right? They may not be extroverted, uh, but more fundamentally, they're friendly. They, they enjoy meeting and talking with people. They're gregarious. They're, they're approachable. We know people who are like that in our lives, don't we? I mean, who comes to your mind as a people person that you know? I think of my dad, who was a PE teacher for a junior high for decades, um, but he always ended up hanging out with the janitors of the school, and not with the teachers in the teachers' lounge. The janitors were mostly invisible to everyone else in school uh, and ignored, actually, for being lower lung on the ladder at school. And my dad just didn't care. He moved towards those invisible people as a type of people person. But whoever you and I bring to mind as kind of, that kind of a people person, Jesus is that to the nth degree. Jesus moves towards the invisible, the outcast, and the awkward. He closes the distance between himself and the rich, and the poor, and the very needy and difficult. He moves closer to the one who sits alone, to the religious, to the irreligious. Jesus moves toward people. And the question that you and I have to ask is, why did Jesus do this? I mean, what enables Jesus to do this when so many others don't? We have to ask this because you and I are just content sometimes to just keep our distance from people from stopping short with people. And if we're going to neighbor well and move down the line like this, then we're going to need to learn to do what Jesus did. We're going to need to understand his reasons so that we can replicate what he's done with our neighbors. The reason Jesus does it, and many don't, is actually a matter of what he sees. Or as Donald Sanukian put it, there's a difference in the kind of eyes that Jesus had as opposed to many others. Notice the kind of eyes that the religious people show in their complaints about Jesus. Notice what it says. It says, And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus moving toward people struck people in Jesus' day too. And it stuck out not in a good way. It tarnished Jesus' reputation, putting a blemish on him and his trustworthiness as a teacher. It was a black mark on Jesus and his person. So much so, do you notice, the religious leaders don't even go to Jesus to talk about it, but his disciples, they were the pliable ones in this scenario, right? Their leading question of why. Why would he move to obvious, such obvious riffraff? They wouldn't dare do it. Nobody else would because look at them. You see, they had the eyes of a judge. And that's great in our judicial system, but in a personal relational world, it's why we don't move toward people. I mean, these religious people could only see what was wrong. 
and what was off-putting, and that made them stay away or at least keep their distance. It made them afraid of what would happen if they moved too close to them, if they moved toward them, the ways that they'd be secretly influenced, the things that they would unwittingly affirm, the insults or ridicules they'd have to deal with. It also gave them a reason of why they, you know, a sense of pride to just stay away. The moral superiority that they felt. The ways that they were just plain better. The long way down that they'd have to go to move toward them. The eyes of the judge is what kept them at a distance. It's what made them, you know, only go so far because they could only see people. And that's why we don't move toward people as well. And if we're honest, mine underneath us. It's why we keep our distance. It's why we go only so far, even with our neighbors. We see what's wrong with them. And we see it as reasons to steer clear. Makes us afraid and what they'll do to us. Make us feel a sense that we're better in some way, shape, or form, doesn't it? So many times... Having the eyes of a judge is what keeps us from people. But Jesus has a different set of eyes. And so a better reason for moving toward people. Jesus answers, Those who are well have no need of a a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus' reasoning for moving towards people is not naive in the least. He isn't fooled by what they are like. They're sick. Spiritually sick, which Jesus terms as sinners. They're far from God, hurt with their sin, wounded with what's been done to them, and broken with the story that they just keep telling themselves about why it's all come. And so Jesus has to move toward them because just look at them. You see, Jesus has the eyes of a doctor. That's why Jesus moves towards them. He sees what is wrong with them and he knows that he can help out and it's more of a sickness that he can help and that God can heal. It's what made Jesus curious about them. Seeing what hurts that God could heal if, he, if they'd let him. A new story that they could tell themselves about what, who God is and what he is like and what their life is like with him. And what sin and idols God could free them from if he were to take that center place in their life. The eyes of a doctor is what compelled Jesus to move closer, to move toward people because of the distinct possibility of being able to help them. And God coming to heal through him. So, how can you and I have the eyes that are more like Jesus? The eyes of a doctor. How can we have more of what Jesus did so that we can become the kind of people that he was with others? What's fascinating in this story is that both the religious people and Jesus saw the same things. They saw what was wrong and what was broken in people. But they had different kinds of eyes because of what they deeply believed about what they could do about it 
and what God just might do through them. That is, they believed differently about themselves and what God actually had determined for them so that that had eyes to be able to move out in compassion like a doctor. And so if we're going to have different kinds of eyes for people to move towards people like Jesus did here, then we have to look inside and we have to ask ourselves what we really believe. Do we really believe God has put us where he has to be of help to people around us? Do we really believe God would meet us in those moments of moving toward and give us what we need no matter what we see is wrong there? And then do we actually believe that God could heal them and even would through us if we were to move toward them? We have great reasons to believe this. We have great reasons for our hearts to be consumed by this. All we have to do is look at what God has done for us in Jesus, who moved toward us despite our deep sin, despite our flaws. I mean, look at the forgiveness and freedom of some sin that you enjoy because Jesus died for you. Look at how you are fundamentally different because of how the Spirit has changed you and made you more like Jesus. Look at the healing you've experienced in your wounds from the hurts and the traumas as well because of how you live in God's power and presence and being swept up there through faith in Jesus. Look at the great ways God has healed and changed you. And if he did that for you, then surely he can do it through you moving toward people. Surely he can do it again in the life of another, right? And so would you take it to heart or take it into your heart for the first place? Would you remember this and let it kind of be your operating system? Because then the kind of eyes we'd have for people would shift and reform. We'd actually believe that God would have us help, made us able to help, and that he could heal. And all of that would make us have eyes more of a doctor and less like a judge. You see, having the eyes of a doctor means we'll move toward people in relationship. And now that we've kind of thought about this, kind of repositioned our vision of God and and why he would have us help them and that his ability to be able to heal them. What's next for you to move down the line with your neighbors? Doesn't have to be grand leaps. Doesn't have to be gargantuan steps for us to suddenly be our neighbor's best friend and like move in with them. It's just a matter of identifying what is the next faithful step we can take with our neighbor to move toward them. What's a step you can take even this next week? If we're in the stranger category, because we don't know their name or we can't remember their name, right? Then the first step is to learn their name. We may have to admit that we forgot it, right? Ask for it again. Or we may have to admit that we never asked, right? But we'd like to know their name. 
And we may even need to write it down on our neighbor map just so that we can remember it. Repeat it over and over and over again as we go past their house just so that we get it. But learn their name and their kid's name. That is the next step for any neighbor whose name we don't know. Because until we know their name, they are still a stranger to us. And then with every neighbor's name that we know, you know, they're in the acquaintance category. And so now, what is the next step to move towards them? The book suggests a block party, and and the key is to do that, like we did with Davis Neighbors Night Out last week. But don't feel confined by this one option, right? Or the chance is gone because Davis Neighbors Night Out is done, so we can't do that anymore, right? We all have different styles of neighboring and relationships and personalities. So what one would fit you? Here's some ideas. Station yourself outside at the bottom of your driveway or outside your door of your apartment or your dorm and just be there for 30 minutes and talk to the people who come by you. Just say hi. Right? Share some baked goods. And if you don't like baking, you've got some fruit trees in your backyard. You can pawn off your pomegranates on them. Right? Borrow something from them instead of running to Ace or Home Depot. Right? Um, ask for help before going to YouTube. They might have an expertise they can help you out in. Buy the cookies that they're selling or the school is selling, right? Watch sports or a movie together. Join them and invite in what they invite you to do. But what is something that you could do in this coming week to just take one more step towards your neighbor? Here's what I want you to do. Take out this, na- uh, this map or na- neighbor map that we have for you, that we've been using. Maps you, your neighbors next to you, and the neighbors across the street or the apartment or the dorm. And if you don't have one from the previous weeks, consider this your copy that you will take home and use from now on. And just fill in the names, put in a question mark with the ones that you don't know. But look, with your, look at your neighbor map, once you've done that, with the eyes of a doctor. God has done a work in you. He's placed you, and it is no mistake that you are there. And so what good can you do to help them, to heal them? And just let's take a couple of minutes. Write down one thing, one thing you want to do for each one of your neighbors to move down the line. Sounds like some of the rustling is done. But those are our next steps to take. Bring this neighbor neighbor map to your home group, your small group to share with them. And bring it back next week so we can continue to like work on this and fill this in. Uh, Jenny and I have made our plans, right? We're going to station ourselves at the end of the driveway at Halloween uh, to do more to host our neighbor kids and families because our kids are grown and so... Halloween is just not that big of a deal in our home anymore, so we're going to make it a big deal by stationing ourselves out. And, oh, I'm going to figure out a way to get to know the college names of the kids next to me, right? You see, having the eyes of a doctor will mean that we move toward people in relationships, all kinds of people, neighbors, those we encounter in town, at school, We'll see what everyone else sees about people, what's wrong and what's broken. But since we have taken to heart the forgiveness 
the healing, the change that God has brought about our lives in Jesus, we'll appreciate that we can actually help. We'll believe, actually, that God might be able to heal them too if we just move toward them. And taking that to heart means will help us, it will spur us towards action, toward our neighbors, to give what help we can, no heroics involved, just the help we can give. And to give God the chance to heal in ways that only he can in their lives. May God give us those kinds of eyes like Jesus had, yes, the eyes of a doctor. Let's pray, shall we? Thank you, Jesus, that you had eyes of a doctor for me and for each one of us, that you moved toward us. Our sin, our tangles, our flaws did not keep you away, but you moved toward us. You gave your life for us that we might be forgiven, that we might be transformed, that we might even be healed. And let that settle more deeply in our heart. Let that be more of the lens and the operating system so that we function as people with your kind of eyes, Jesus, that moves toward people. And the stuff that we've recorded down, we lay these plans before you. We ask that you would bless them because we're trying to follow your lead in some way. Open the doors of opportunity that we might be able to do that even this week. And when you do that, we'll thank you for answering this prayer this morning and seeing it as a slice of you being at work in our neighborhoods that assures us of your greater work going on in our neighbors and in our city, and on this planet to bring your kingdom here and for you to do your will on earth as it is in heaven. We ask this for your glory. We ask this for our ongoing joy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. take a seat. You came to save a, a lost and broken world. That, that's almost a statement too good to be true to imagine that God could do in, not just in the world at large, but in our neighborhoods, and our blocks, and in our apartments. But may we not lose hope. God can do this. So before we go, I have a few things to remind us of as a church family. The first is just to save the date. Um, it is for our uh, Friendsgiving potluck celebration. It's on November 12th. And if you are looking for something in the next step with a neighbor where you're like, you know, it'd be great to have something to invite them to. And this is the, this is the thing. This is the thing you want to do. It is uh, a chance to, to come together. They, if they come, they'll eat good food um, and they will chat with wonderful people. And I guarantee if you bring a neighbor, you will feel more bonded with that neighbor at the end of that time. That's just how human beings work. And so this is a really strategic and wonderful thing that we get to invite people to. Looking forward to it. So put that date in your calendar in the fellowship hall. And uh, second, I get to invite up Doug Reese for a little financial update. Would you like this music stand? Oh, okay. Take my mic. Thank you, Peter. So my name is Doug Reese, and I'm part of the financial committee here. Uh, Mark Geiger is also on the committee with me, and it's chaired by Moises De La Torre. And um, just for a little history, uh, for those of you who maybe weren't here, last year, uh, at the end of our fiscal year, which was in June, we ended up um, lower than our expected uh, donations. 
and the elder boards made some recommendations uh, that could possibly include um, um, our ministries actually declining or possibly even uh, maybe looking at some staff time. That got the congregation a little bit motivated, and we had some meetings throughout the summer. And two things came out of those meetings. First was that we here, the congregation FBC, were not really excited to um, reduce any of our ministries or look at reducing staff time. And so several people, many people here, pledged to give more, uh, more above and beyond their, their normal giving so that we could go through what we're terming a season of financial discernment. So that was the first thing. That was wonderful. The second thing that came out of those meetings is that the elder board was able to look at our budget and they were able to find $70,000 worth of savings that I term as they weren't drastic cuts at all. They really were right-sizing our budget. There were areas where we had not been spending things and so that they knew we could decrease what our expectations in those budgets. So that was another piece of good news. So then the question becomes, where are we now? Um, and we have a, a slide that will be put up, and we're really in good shape right now. Um, we are, as you can see on this slide, $31,000 in the black, uh, which represents 11%. So we're ahead of our donations. So uh, thank you to everybody. Very wonderful news. And so um, we also have 14 new givers. There are people here who have not given before to, to FBC, and they are now, uh, they have pledged to give to the church. So that is also just another extreme blessing. Um, where's this money going? What ministries are you supporting through your donations? Um, so this is just a short list, but this past month we've been welcome a new, whole new batch of college students uh, to Davis, and they've been invited to join um, the college ministry. Also at the high school, every, every Monday we have lunches there where students are invited to come have food, share in fellowship. We also have our home groups. If you've been part of our, our fall focus, we are expanding home groups, so staff is able to get people plugged into those home groups. And then, of course, even our children's ministry, which is going on this morning and other things. So your money is going to great ministries, and just want to say thank you for that. Uh, the last thing in closing is, um, if you haven't, it's a great time to jump in. There's a lot of wonderful things going on. And as my father would say, every time we went to the lake, jump on in. The water's fine. So thank you. Thank you, Doug. I remember on men's retreats when you would plunge into the freezing cold Lake Tahoe, so you took that to, to heart. Um, before we go, I want to remind you, if you're new or newish, Chai and Chocolate's going to be happening in like 15 seconds, so you're going to want to go in there, and then if you want to be on the e-news, just fill that out and take it to the connect card, uh, the connect table. Why don't you stand up and receive this benediction? Oh, FBC, may you be this week the hands and feet of the great physician who's hoping to heal not just the world, but also your block and your neighborhood and your apartment. Go in peace. May you do the good work. See you next week.